seat. Appreciate it. I'll let you in on a secret as you're making your way in. How many of you noticed that Ashley had ice cream in her hand? I just want to say that was our ice cream she was eating illegally. She didn't ask permission. She was just eating our ice cream. I'm working on forgiveness myself. Um, <clears throat> I read an article some time ago, and it was entitled, Religion is Breaking Out All Over America. Sounds like good news, right? Uh, I went this week to the fount of all knowledge, Wikipedia, and um, I checked. And I found out that in a total U.S. population of 327.2 million people, there are approximately 240 million Christians in the United States of America. For those of you that like math, that is approximately 73% of America is Christian. Woohoo! Good news, right? The article closed with this statement. Listen to this. This, this is important. For most of those Christians, their faith doesn't seem to make too much difference from their previous lifestyle. Okay, let me, let me give you the stats again because I want you to get this. 327.2 million people in the U.S. 327.2. Of whom 73%, 240 million are Christians. They say they're Christians. They take a poll. They say they're Christians. But then they end with this statement, for most of those Christians, their faith doesn't seem to make too much difference. i got to tell you, there's a real problem with our faith when pornographers and pedophiles can continue to do the same thing they have always been doing, but now say that they're Christians doing it. We now have Christian pornography in a nation 73% Christian. I, I want to suggest to you that it doesn't matter what you call yourself or what you even say you believe, if it doesn't ultimately show itself, I question how real it is. If your faith doesn't show up in your life, I question whether or not you have real faith. In fact, my title today is, Where's the Beef? But I would even change it a little bit. I would say, talk is cheap. It's easy to say you believe. What about it demonstrating itself in your life somewhere, somehow, sometime? Do you remember the chorus we used to sing as kids? It went something like this. If you're saved and you know it, say... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You guys... If you're saved and you know it, say amen. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will... Surely show it. 
If you're saved and you know it's amen. I'm sorry, I had to finish the song. Um, the implication is, if you're truly saved, your life should truly show it. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Here's my problem. Faith is a lot like calories. You can't see them, but you can sure see the results. If it's real, it will show itself. Your faith will surely show it. So, look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Turn there in your Bibles if you have Bibles. If you don't have Bibles, it will be on the screen in front of you for those of you that aren't Christians. Smile once in a while. Come on. James chapter 2, verse 14. I am reading in the New King James Version. It's the one that Jesus used. <clears throat> James chapter 2, verse 14. And again, if the person next to you doesn't have a Bible, just lean over and say, oh, I've memorized it too. What does it profit, my brethren? Again, follow. What does it profit, my brethren? Who's he talking to then? Believers, my brethren. What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith, and I'm going to add a little bit of commentary here, can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, let me... Just pause. Okay, I want to make sure you're actually thinking about what we're reading. Because it's easy just to let the words roll because you've heard the words so often. You've read them. How many of you have read this portion of Scripture before? You've read them. You know them. Some of you have even memorized them. So you tend to go into neutral. But I want you to think about the words that James is saying. Verse 17. Faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh, foolish man, the fool has said in his heart that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the Scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. 
you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James was apparently from the state of Missouri. He was from the show-me state. James is saying to us, genuine faith will always produce genuine works. Now, if you take time to really think about that statement at all, if you know your Bible, especially the New Testament, you might begin to suspect and wonder about the fact that some people think James is contradicting the rest of the Bible, especially the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Have you ever had someone say to you, you can't trust the Bible because it's full of errors and contradictions? This portion of Scripture which we have just read is one of the primary portions that they point to because they would say James contradicts the rest of the New Testament. I want us to look at that honestly before we move on. I want us to really look at does James contradict the rest of the New Testament? Now, to save time, I've handed out some papers to you. Does everybody have a paper? Has it all been handed out to you? Who doesn't have one? Anybody not have one? Okay, could you guys get them wherever they are? Yours are gone? We've got a lot of them around here, Jed. Oh, we don't have enough sheets. Okay, we'll share with somebody. Look on. If you're a husband and a wife, you can hand yours over to one another. Anybody else? Jed, we got an extra one here. Connie, she's handing hers in. And Sharon or Tom. Okay, I want to just point out that coming in the door right now is our ice cream thief. Okay, anybody else need one now? Anybody need a sheet? I want you to get that. It's going to save us some time. Okay, here we go. And again, as we're reading these scriptures, I put them on here. Uh, there's two parts to it, front and back to the sheet, but go to the part that doesn't have the little chart on it. Go to the other side first. I want you to keep in mind now, okay, keep in mind that James is saying real faith proves itself by real works. That's what James is saying. See if that statement in any way seems contradictory to these scriptures that I'm giving you. Okay, let's read right down through them quick. I'm going to start with Romans 3.28. Follow along with me on your card. Romans 3.28 Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified or saved by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Hmm. Okay. That's a problem. Romans 4.5 But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies or saves the ungodly, his faith, even though he doesn't work, is accounted for
for righteousness. Galatians 2.16 Knowing that a man is not justified, saved, by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be saved by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified or saved. Ephesians 2.8-9 Most of you have memorized this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 2 Timothy 1.9 Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ before time began. And finally, Titus 3.5 Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, when you compare those verses, can you understand why some people might say it contradicts what James says in Chapter 2, verse 24, a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Can you see where they might say that's contradictory? We just read, not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to His mercy. James says, a man is justified by works. Or if you're like me, and this year you decided in your reading through the Bible to read the New Living Translation, it's even worse. It says this, and I put it on your card, So you see, we are made right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. So, the question is, does James contradict the rest of the New Testament, especially the teachings of Paul the Apostle? I want to suggest to you that they are not contradictory at all. I want to suggest to you that they are rather complementary. They are actually two sides of the same coin. And I want you to look at some other verses that I've got there on the card for you. Look at Luke 3.8. Jesus says, Bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, He's saying, show me something to show that you've really repented. There should be some evidence, some proof of it. That's Jesus saying, there should be fruit that goes along with what you say. You say you've repented. You say you've gotten saved. You say you've accepted Christ. Let there be some fruit worthy of repentance. Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. He says, your good works should shine as a light. If you don't have good works, how are you giving glory to your Father in heaven? Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. In other words, they say one thing, but is there proof? Verse 16. You will know them. You will be able to see it by their fruits. 
Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree, bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree, now hear this verse, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. That's Jesus talking. This idea of your faith evidencing itself is throughout the whole of the Bible, but especially the New Testament, even the Apostle Paul. Look at some of these verses from Paul to see that what he is saying is not contradicting James at all. He's actually enlarging, if you would, our understanding of what James is saying. Romans 14.12 So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. What's he going to give an account of? Well, you'd have to go back to Romans chapter 2. And I put it in your notes. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. The implication is your deeds, what you do, your works show something about you. 1 Corinthians 3.8 Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Each one. Those are works, by the way. Planting and watering are works. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And finally, 2 Corinthians 5.10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Again, James and Paul are saying the same thing. That faith has to demonstrate or evidence. It's like if you're on trial, it used to be back in the 70s, the question was, if you were put on trial for your faith, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's the kind of thing that James is asking. Do you have enough evidence in your life that you are truly a Christian? That you truly believe that you have faith? Now I've given you this little chart. Look at that real quick and then we'll, you can kind of put that aside for most of the rest of the service. I, I've kind of put Paul on one side and James on the other side so that you could see both. And they're, they're actually looking at very similar things, but think about it again as the flip side of the coin. Paul looks at the roots of salvation. What happens at salvation? James is looking at the fruit. What happens after salvation? Paul is saying, in order to get saved, you need faith. Just faith. But having had faith, it should demonstrate itself in works. Paul's considering salvation primarily from God's perspective. James is looking at it from man's perspective focus or man's perspective. Paul is looking at the issue of justification, which is salvation. When you say justification, you think of the words, just as if I had never sinned. God comes by His blood, washes your sins away. He doesn't just cover it. He washes it away. It's the expiation is the fancy theological term. He washes it away. He's looking at it as an issue of salvation. James is saying, okay, but if you're saved, your life should begin to change. 
He's looking at it from the idea of sanctification. How your life begins to look more and more like Jesus. One of the other things is that Paul is battling something James is not. Paul is battling legalism. He's saying, I don't want people to think that in order to become right with God, you have to somehow have all your good works add up. So he's fighting this legalistic mindset. And every time Paul uses the word works or law, almost every time he's talking about the Old Testament law of rituals and sacrifices. When James talks about it, he's talking about he's fighting against a laxity in our Christian faith. One that becomes lazy and says, well, I'm saved. I can just sit back and who cares how I live? doesn't matter. I'm going to heaven. Uh, I, I can remember back in the day. How many, how many of you guys remember back in the day Larry Flint getting saved? Remember that? I mean, he gets saved and he continues to run his pornography empire. And he says, well, now I'm a Christian pornographer. There's something wrong with that kind of thinking. It's not in line with the Bible and certainly not in line with James. When Paul talks about works, he's talking about Jewish law. When James talks about works, he's talking about our Christian lifestyle. Paul is talking about how to know you're a Christian, and James is talking about how to show. And I didn't put it in your notes, but if you could, you could think about it this way. Paul is dealing with orthodoxy, which is right belief. James is talking about orthopraxy, which is right behavior. So they're actually talking about the similar kind of thing. It's like a balance point. It's like one says this and the other one says that's true. But what about this? It's like Paul says this. Paul says, if you truly believe, God is going to light a fire in the fireplace of your soul. And James says, I'll believe there's a fire in the fireplace of your soul when I can see the smoke coming out of the chimney. That's really what they're saying. They're not saying different things. They're complementing. They're coming together. James is not speaking to our entry point into the kingdom of God. He's talking about once you've come in, your life should begin to show something. He's fighting a superficial or even an artificial faith. That's what James is fighting against. And if you think God doesn't care about what you do, just go back to Matthew, I think it's 23 or 25, and read the parable of the talents. He cares about what He's put into your life as an investment for you to give a return on that investment. For too long, too many Christians, Christians have gotten saved just enough to get into heaven, but not enough saved to actually change their life to affect how they live on a day-by-day basis. James is saying it's true that a man cannot be saved by works alone. But it's equally true a man can't be saved if somewhere, sometime, somehow, works don't begin to demonstrate it in its life. Look at verse 19 in James chapter 2. Verse 19, if you would. There, James uses the term believe. And that's the Greek word, by the way, for those of you that care about this kind of stuff. That's the Greek word pistos. Pistos. And it literally means to live in accordance with. To believe means you're putting your trust in, you're relying upon, you're, and to get this, you're committing yourself fully to. That's what believe means. To commit yourself fully to what you say you believe. There's a world of difference between believing that and believing in. 
A lot of people believe that there is a God. But it doesn't mean they believe in that God. They believe that God is real. There's a God up in heaven somewhere. He's started the whole world. He's wound it up and he says to everybody, good luck everyone. Hope you make it to the end. There's a world of difference between that kind of faith and the faith that says, I believe in you, I put my trust in you, and I'm going to live in accordance with your will and your way. One of the best examples I could think of for this, and I'm sure that there are some better ones, it's in 1859, a guy by the name of Charles Blondin was like this world-class kind of guy for walking the tightrope. And he strung a cable across Niagara Falls 160 feet in the air, 1,100 feet across. And then he walked across the cable and back. And everybody's cheering. And by that point, people are all kind of lining up and watching this because he hadn't had publicity at a time. The media begins to show up and he does all kinds of amazing feats. He goes out to the middle of the wild, uh, middle of the cable and he does a somersault. He, he does a handstand, a headstand. He goes out, he sits in a chair with two legs balanced on the cable and has breakfast. He cooks an egg out on the cable. He, he, I mean, I just can't even imagine. He wears stilts and walks all the way across and back. And everybody's cheering. Everybody's, and he says, I, I believe that I could actually carry somebody on my back across. How many of you believe that? And everybody's cheering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He walks into the crowd and he takes the guy who was the loudest guy among everybody saying, I believe. He says, well, good then get on my back. And the guy almost faints. No way. It's easy to say you believe, but does your belief actually demonstrate it? Too many people, and, and some of you maybe even, too many people are taught today, all you have to do is at the end of the service say, Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. And that's enough. Now you're saved and you're going to heaven. And that's all it takes. Just some words. Your life doesn't need to... You know, all that stuff that you used to do, the swearing and the carousing and the living together and immorality, all that stuff doesn't matter. Jesus loves you just the way you are. Now, my question is, does Jesus love you? Yes, He does. But don't you think that maybe Jesus loves you enough to actually change you? Don't you think that when Paul says in Romans 8 that he has purpose, willed, that you would be conformed to the image of his Son, you would become like him, that he means that yes, you're saved, but he knows what's best for you. And living your old lifestyle isn't best for you. It's destructive. It's mortal. It's death-giving. And he says, I have a better way for you. James confronts that kind of, you know, it's like we hear a lot today about fake news. Well, James is confronting fake faith. A faith that uses their words to say things, but it never seems to show up anywhere in their life. It's profession without practice. And James is addressing that. Look at verse 14. James poses a question. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works, can that kind of faith save him? He's saying if there's no smoke, there's no fire. If there's no fruit, there's really no root. Because, get this, real faith changes life. Real faith changes how you do life. 
It changes your marriage. It changes your financial outlook in life. What you're trusting in. It changes everything about you. How you dress. How you do everything. Faith changes you. From the inside out. And then in verses 15-25, through James begins to deal a little bit deeper. He says, if empty, workless faith isn't real faith, what is real faith? And James gives us very quickly four simple things that demonstrate what real, genuine faith looks like. He starts in verse 15. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and each one of you, one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So the first characteristic of genuine faith is this. Genuine faith gets involved. Genuine faith is never passive. It's not indifferent. It's active. It's it's the kind of thing where people with genuine faith get involved in real people's lives. You get engaged with people around you. I've had people say to me, why do you spend so much time down at Bud's? I'll tell you why. Because they're real people. Sometimes I'm not sure about all you. You come in and you're so smart and smiley and pretty and put together. I don't know. Is this real? Is this how you are everywhere? I hope so. When I sit down there, you're talking to people, many of whom don't know anything about Jesus. And they're very real. And they ask real questions. And I love the fact that they come to my table, because I rent that table. They come to my table and they ask real questions. Real faith gets involved with real people out of care for them. Number two, the second characteristic, verse 17. Thus, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Genuine faith always partners with love. Genuine faith always partners with love. Faith can never exist alone. It always has to have a partner. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love. He says, how do we know love? How do you prove love? Because He laid down His life for us. Jesus evidenced His love by laying down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brethren... Does this sound familiar to James, by the way? Whoever has this world's goods sees his brother in needs and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I mean, James and John are like mimicking each other here. If a man is truly saved, then to quote that old song, his life will truly show it. You won't be continuing your old lifestyle. You won't be making excuses. You'll say, God, I want change. I don't want to stay the same. And it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been walking with God, there's still stuff in you that you're saying, God, I want to change. I want to become more like you. If you ever get to the point where you're able to just coast and you think you're close enough to Jesus, you're in a dangerous place. Because there's always more that God wants to do to help us to become more and more like Jesus. Third criterion is found in verse 18. 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. Genuine faith is always on display. That word show means to bring to light, to display, to exhibit. The real thing always shows up. If you have real faith, it will show up every single day of your life. Somewhere, somehow, it's going to show itself. Uh, back when I first got saved, there was a movie. Some of you guys might even remember this. There was a movie that came out, and it was called The Silent Witness. And the implication was this. There was this group of people who called themselves the Clairol Christians. How many of you guys remember the old, uh, maybe it's even still around, Clairol spray, like for hair and stuff like that? And what was the line that always went along with Clairol? Only her hairdresser knows. And they became then Clairol Christians. Only God knows. Because nothing in their life ever shows itself. James makes it clear that faith and works are never to be an either-or concept. It's a both-and. You have to have faith and works. Now, a lot of people today have put a lot of emphasis upon the fact that we are human beings, not human doers. We are to be. We're to find our identity in Jesus. I believe that you're to find your identity, your security in Christ. I believe that. But having received your being, I think James calls us to also be doing, not just being. I think until you get to a point where because you be, you then do, you're not really being. Because if you're being, you will begin to do because of what's inside of you. Jesus put it this way, I must be about my Father's business. There's a false dichotomy today in Christianity that says you never need to do anything. Just be saved. And, and honestly, part of my thought is if that's true, then we ought to get everybody saved and then just kill them quickly. That way they can just go to heaven and be done with it. Why waste time? Just get to heaven. Why go through all this stuff? It's because God's giving you an opportunity for His image to be worked into your very being. It's the height of selfishness and idolatry when we begin to put all of our emphasis, all of our uh, weight of uh, focus on either our families or our own woundedness, even upon intimacy with Jesus. There's a lot of people who say, I just, all I care about is just being close to Jesus. I just want to be close to Jesus. And I'm remembering the Song of Solomon where the bridegroom comes to the window and says to his beloved, who has been experiencing intimacy, she wants to stay in the bedroom with intimacy, he comes to the window and he says, come run with me upon the mountains. In other words, there's things to do. If you want to be with Jesus, sometimes it means doing some things. Not just being. And then finally, our final point, verse 19. You believe there's one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Genuine faith is from the heart, not just the head. Uh, James here kind of brings to light, a, a kind of like in these verses, an imaginary conversation in which somebody says, I believe there's only one God. And again, you understand that in their day and age, with Romans and Greeks living side by side with Jews, Romans and Greeks believed that there were many gods. 
pantheon of gods. And so there was a lot of debate. Is there many gods or is there one God? And so he's imagining a conversation in which somebody comes along and says, I believe there's one God. And they're feeling good about themselves because they're expressing their faith. And James says, you say you believe there's one God? Good for you. Let me introduce you to somebody else who also believes that there's one God. Shake hands with the demons. Because they believe there's only one God. But what good does that belief do them? They live their life unchanged, still bound for hell. Do you know, by the way, that the word demon has as part of its origin, and you can Google this, has as part of its origin a detective who pursues knowledge and intelligence. That's part of the root of the word demon. Someone who pursues intellectualism through means of knowledge. Demons know the truth. And they believe in God. They believe that there is a God. In fact, I would say their theology is probably impeccable. They probably know more than most intellectual Christians out there. But it doesn't do them any good because they don't have genuine faith in that God that they recognize. It says the demons at least are smart enough to tremble. That word tremble means to be rough, to uneven, but I love this part, to have goosebumps. That's what it means, to have goosebumps. It's like, you know, where the hair on your arm stands up on end? It's like, oh my word. God's here. He says, okay, great, you get goosebumps. What good does that do you? And there's a lot of Christians that go from one Holy Ghost goosebump to another. They go from one service to another service. They love the highs. They love it when they're in a service and stuff is happening. They love coming to church and lifting their hands and worshiping God. And they feel good about it. They love going and getting a prophetic word and having it be exciting and you're going to be lifted up. They love all of that. They get one goosebump after another. But when they're done, has your life changed? Do you look more like Jesus? Back in 1994, we had stuff going on here where God just showed up in power in ways that we hadn't seen before. It was an amazing time. It was a wonderful time in God. It was a terrible time in God. We saw stuff that half the time I couldn't figure out, was this God, or was this flesh, or was this demonic? We saw stuff go on that I'm thinking, I don't know. But I would give the same report again and again and again over all these years. I would end when somebody would challenge me and say, well, look at what she's doing. She's, she's over there jerking. There's something wrong with it. It's like she's having a fit. I would look at that person's life and I would say, okay, I don't know whether that manifestation is of God or not. I don't know. But I do know this. I know what her life was like and I know what it's like now. And I think that speaks well of God. That's what James is saying. Is that somewhere, if there's a root there's got to be some fruit that evidences itself. So the fact that you go from one person to another looking for a prophetic word until you finally get one that you really like doesn't impress James. James is saying, even the demons know all about God. They've got all things down. But they're just intellectuals. That's all they are. They know about God. But they don't have relationship with God. Our walk and our talk need to match.
That's the bottom line. That's what James is talking about. And I put on that card at the very bottom. Real faith is not just something you say. Real faith is not just something you feel. Real faith is not just something you think or believe. Real faith is something you do. It evidences itself. So, take a moment if you would. Just close your eyes. I told you last week that at this point in time, James moves from preaching to meddling. He gets really involved. He starts to bug us a little bit. James is saying to us, faith in God is the starting point. But if it ends with you believing that there's a God, if it ends with you even saying a salvation prayer, but never going any further, never showing itself in real life, that's an empty, dead faith. So my question is today, how are things with your soul? Is your faith producing fruit of righteousness in your life? Do you have enough faith to affect your own life and the world around you? Is your faith in God such that it's actually changing you day by day by day? 